Welcome to Stories of COVID, the interview project that explores what it's like to experience a global pandemic. I never thought I would see this in my lifetime. It is scary and it's very real, but it's not hopeless. As I said, I changed three planes. None of them were wearing any gloves or masks. I've never seen so much support for freelancers or artists in the in the media um, as I have now. They both laid me off from just the advent of the, the outbreak. I'm anthropologist and author Veronica Kieran, and I am building an interview archive of stories and anecdotes that define this time in history to write a book preserving this experience for future generations. If you'd like to help preserve this moment in history for future generations, check out the show notes to sign up for an interview. Felipe Ballesteros lives in Chicago and works in the public sector. In this episode, he describes how the pandemic and the messaging around safety and the shutdowns and the needs of individuals have deep disparities, that the messaging isn't reaching critical groups of people and how he and his department are working to resolve that. Uh, in December, so when everything started popping up, my partner's from China, so um, got a lot of that news then. I think it was just an immediate, like, it is really crazy. Uh, things are happening in Wuhan. I have a friend that lives there or lived there. Chanel lives in Chicago. And she was kind of giving us, like, okay, they're shutting down the streets. The city's on lockdown. It just became really an intense situation for a lot of our friends, which happen to be Chinese. So it's um, a lot of fear and just, like, what is happening? It's a lot of confusion. It's transformed into anger and not towards the virus itself, but towards the administrations. It's become almost racialized in my head. Um, it's not it's not just about public health, but it's the inequity that exists within public health um, and the economics and the politics and all those pieces. Current regulations, they're opening up some public spaces uh, like beaches and such, but they're kind of on the brink of saying, hey, we're at, I believe I heard the number, it's 6%. 5% of people that are getting tested are getting positive results. If that number reaches 8%, they're going to be reclosing a lot of like bars and restaurants. Masks everywhere, um, hand sanitizers in most places. There's like plastic coverings around stores. I kind of feel fortunate to have landed in Chicago because I feel like the city took it a little bit more seriously than other places. Um, that's how I feel, I, don't, I am in a bubble. Um, so in January, I was up to my knees in work. I was doing a strategic plan for, for, for a client and I was like late at night. And then I, I was just, I was feeling a little weird, but I wasn't sure. I got up and I started feeling like nauseated and like the, the floor was moving. It was like lava. And I went home after that and I just collapsed. I couldn't, it felt like a flu that I had in the past. I get them really bad, but it was very different. It was very surreal. Anyway, so the story goes that one of my colleagues went to the hospital in early January to go see a niece who had some type of pneumonia. 
but it wasn't diagnosed as that. They didn't know. She got a little sick and she was just coughing up storm like if she was a smoker, but she never smoked. I'm like, what? Whatever. We didn't think much of it. She just has a confidence really. But lo and behold, I went to the doctor, got a test. They, I thought it was a flu or strep or something. They, they both came back negative. It's some type of virus, whatever. We don't know. Here's some medication. And the medication didn't make me, it made me ignore my symptoms, but didn't make them better. So I was sick for about a month and another, my boss got sick as well. Deathly sick, like for a month. She lost so much weight. It was almost unrecognizable. And I was like, what is this? And then, but we didn't link it to potentially COVID. It wasn't until I think May that I'm like, oh my God, I think I had COVID. Uh, and because I was just, just beginning, things became a little bit more serious, right? With the pandemic closing down things and whatever. So. I lived with that thought as being a survivor, a potential survivor. I kind of joke with it, but it's like, I may have had it living with a Chinese partner. We've always been stuck at home. So we really took it seriously. Even before all of this happened, we were interviewed on live television because we were wearing, we were some of the first people in Chicago, I feel, wearing masks. So every time we would walk in public, a news reporter that would spot us would be like, oh, well, just once, but hey, you guys have masks. What Are you guys scared? And like, I don't know if scared, but it's like, we have to take this seriously. I'm surprised people aren't doing that. So it was an uh, initial weirdness. I feel a little angry. Uh, my firm is behind some of uh, the CDPH, so the Chicago Department of Public Health emergency preparedness team. So we are the ones that give them the marketing and communications broadly in the city of, uh, of Chicago. And at the very beginning, and even now, there's been a lack of real messaging that happens for people of color, for Latinos, immigrants, and different languages. And there's a lot of misinformation. So the way that we kind of quantify it is that if there was already a lot of unknown information, misinformation in the beginning for the English market, right? So for the English audiences, now we're coming back with semi-decent information, but there's a whole block of preparedness activities that this community missed. But now we're at a stage in communication where it's like, now just stay indoors, now do this, now do that. They forgot all the beginning part. So it's like now kind of a re-education, but it's still missing. And there's a lot of doubt happening within immigrant communities because of that gap. This has happened tremendously, always, always with public health issues. This has always happened. It just happens to be one of the biggest pandemics the world has ever seen. So, in, I guess in present time. So it's like, damn, <laughs> what, what's going on? And it's having these conversations at the, at the mayor's office, at the state office, at even some federal conversations. Um, what are we doing to meet that gap? Um, and it's, it's usually the result is not much, you know, so it's, it's still one of those things. And I think about it, Chicago being very progressive, places like Michigan, not so much, you know, so those conversations, my counterparts in different states are even worse off than we are. So, and it's, that's just, it's kind of like a, a shock still. Again, not only public health divides, the divide has been highlighted in other ways. Uh, so technology being one of them. What I do find curious though, is a possibility for technology to leapfrog certain things. So um, I spoke to uh, some of my family members that work for like 
factories in Michigan, and they have been told or instructed by their employers to go on this app and to find out, if, or a hotline or whatever it is, and to go check out the recent status of our opening or of any changes to your job or whatever it is. So now they're being forced, because money's involved, to go interact with technology. Before they would get a cousin or they would get someone in the family to go do that, but now they're being asked to go explore it themselves because they're dependent on it. So in a way, in my head, it's like, these individuals are now leapfrogging these initial hurdles to try to interact with technology in a different way. But we also have some challenges with, well, let's say you don't have a computer, how are you gonna fill out a form? Let's say you don't have um, the internet, which is the living thing, or a solid internet. How are you going to do work? How are you going to like do your homework, manage your kids day to day? Like, what if your kid doesn't know how to turn on Zoom? You can't help them because you don't know how to do it. So what do you do? So it's like all these questions are happening, just boom, 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 and it's causing a little bit of a, of a challenge for a lot of people. Not so much me. I'm on the front where. How do I try to bridge that gap, right? How do I bring resources? How do I do that? Uh, how do I bring support? So that's how it played for me. It's it's become more, more not just initiative led, but it's just like I'm more intentful in doing that because I recognize those resources, I recognize that knowledge. So this is the first time that I decided to really explore therapy. The other day, this is like two weeks ago, um, I've always had, I'm a traveler, like I've been so many places, lived abroad, whatever. Um, but I also use traveling to get away, get, get away from my problems or from the sense of stuckism, right? So some people refer to it as escapism, as a reaction to being stuck. And I'm like, well, I sometimes feel that I can't run away from my work, I can't run away from my home. And it's like kind of building up in me. And it's really, and I can't leave and I can't change my environment because I'm stuck at home. So what do I do? And my therapist told me, I was in that, when I was talking to him over the phone, I was in a room kind of like closed off in a little hallway. He's like, hey, are you in a hallway right now or something in a room? I'm like, yes, can you go, go outside? I'm like, yes, I can. So I just go outside and he walks me through, look at a building, look at a person, look at a bar and tell me what you see. I'm like, well, I see this. Okay, focus on that. Focus on people's movements. Focus on whatever's happening there. And just pause for a second in silence. And it was a very, it was kind of like, oh my God, I'm scared, like falling into this abyss. And uh, just quietness. And then do you see how life just continues and how it seems to be going? And I'm like, yeah. Okay, good. Do you recognize that you're part of that life and that movement? that you too, regardless of your situation, are also moving along with it. And like, kind of. It was like really hard to come to terms with like, oh shit. But that, that whole moment kind of escalated my sense of like, oh my God, everything has become in focus. Now life has been continued to be going. What am I doing with my life? What this anxiety just came over me and it freaked me out more than it helped. Um, so I rented a car and I went to whatever I thought was, could bring me comfort and that was tacos. <laughs> so I, I drove to the Mexican part of, uh, of Chicago, which is Pilsen, uh, which is about 15 minutes away. I picked up my partner and a friend and like, 
guys, let's go get tacos. I know this is so bizarre. We don't go to restaurants. We don't do anything. But I just need some kind of texture to get me out of this weird sensation of anxiety. I needed comfort. I needed familiarity. And I found Pilsen. I found tacos. And that just, just I overindulged in the salsa because I just needed to feel it. And I, it, I just fell back down. Everything kind of just got normalized um, to deal with that. Here's the thing that my therapist is trying to tell me. Even though you're used to total freedom, your reaction to that or the way that you were doing it is like an easy escape. I could just buy a ticket and go somewhere, right? Now I can't. So as I'm aging, right, as I'm going and maturing with a relationship, with new responsibilities, like there's a sense that I, I can't indulge in that fantasy anymore as a solution, right? There's so much more that is at stake for myself, that I built for myself, that is important to myself, that I can't rely on that easy way out anymore. Uh, in fact, how can you make that, how can you do other things in a more healthy, productive way that help bring all those other elements that are new to your life that cater to that, you know, so that play off of each other. So it's been kind of a thinking of, I don't need to escape in order to deal with my challenges sometimes. Thank you for listening. Subscribe so that you don't miss an interview. I interview multiple people a week and I am releasing these episodes as fast as I can. And if the story meant something to you, share it, because it will probably mean something to someone else. Every time you share the project, it helps the project grow. So thank you. Until next time, stay safe, stay well.